Tonight, um, I'd like to read one verse and I, uh, just have a special kind of time of prayer specifically because the President of the United States of America asked us to pray, all right, about this situation. God is in control. He's always there. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And in fact, we're instructed as God's people in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You know this verse by heart. But it says, if my people, that's people that belong to the Lord, which are called by my name, we are his, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We certainly need the Lord, don't we? And uh, the way this has really gotten uh, people's attention, if you think of this, uh, just worldwide in a matter of days, if not even really almost. And so we need God. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of prayer. As Jesus said, men always ought to pray and not to faint. And Father, we need you individually, as families, as a church, as a country, and the people, all the people of this world. We thank you that you so love the world that you gave your son, the Lord Jesus, that through him we can have our sins forgiven. We can have a home in heaven because he died for our sins and rose again so that we could be accepted and live together forever with you in heaven someday, and we look forward to that. But Lord, we certainly need you on earth. In you, in you, we truly live and move and have our very being, our very existence. We thank you. You've commanded us to pray without ceasing. We thank you that Jesus said men always ought to pray and not to faint. And as Pastor Reifert just prayed, Lord, we're commanded to cast all of our care upon you for your care for us. And Lord, we come individually as families, as a church, as a country, and as a world that, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sins. Help we believers to be salt. Please, Lord, forgive us not being the salt that we should be, not being the light of the world that we should be. But, Lord, please help us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, uh, work a miracle and just give wisdom and skill and guidance, direction to the medical people to stop this horrible virus that's spreading throughout the world. Lord, I, I pray for wisdom and guidance for all the leaders and throughout the world to, to uh, handle this in a way that uh, is the very best. Lord, you've said to keep asking, keep knocking, keep, keep seeking, keep knocking. And Lord, you've promised that if we ask, uh, we'll receive, we seek, we'll find, if it knock, we'll be opened. So Lord, just bless hearts. Thank you so much for the privilege to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ you have sent. And I pray you would use this... Uh, this trial, this tribulation, Lord, uh, to work in hearts and lives where people say, wow, because we have no guarantees. Lord, our life, as you have said, is but a vapor. It appeareth a little time, and then it vanisheth away. Help us to redeem the time because the days are evil, and help us to do all we can to tell others to live for Christ and to tell others about the Lord Jesus. What he has done for us, he can do for anybody. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be forgiven. Thank you for your goodness and grace now. Bless our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, if you would, please, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. And I'd like to continue my series. Believe it or not, I began this series back in 2017. It only took me 10 years to get through uh, Diamonds for Deuteronomy. (laughs) uh, But anyhow, we look forward to it. And and, and Jeremiah chapter 9. Now, you remember real quickly, I want to give you a background of Jeremiah. Way of review. Jeremiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom. And he's writing, and he lived in, uh, well, he's writing about 586 near the Babylonian captivity where Babylon came and captured the southern kingdom. Now, sadly, they had a, a, a precedent set that was a, a bad precedent, and that was the sister country up north called Israel, the ten tribes of the north, about 130 years before the country of Assyria had come down and more or less uh, destroyed them and captured them. You know, I've said when I speak to young people, and uh, actually not just young people, but mostly young people, you know, it's no mistake if, it, what, if you have brothers and sisters and what line you are, if you're an older brother or an older sister. But it is true that you have more of responsibility uh, because, and they would never admit it, but your little brother, your little sister is looking up to you and the example that you're set. And sadly, Israel, the ten tribes of the north, set a horrible example for them. But we want to set a, a good example for, for everybody and, and how to live for God and do what's right. Well, okay, in Jeremiah chapter 9 now, I'd like you to turn to verse uh, 23. And I'd like to read through down chapter 10, 10. And as I read this portion of Scripture, two questions I'd like us to ask ourselves. Number one, what are the people of God to do? What are they to do? And the second question is, what are they not to do? Two questions as I read this passage in Jeremiah chapter 9, starting at verse 23. What are the people of God to do? And secondly, what are they not to do? Would you follow with me as I read this portion of Scripture? Starting in verse 23 of Jeremiah 9. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which execute loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised, Egypt and Judah and Edom, the children of Ammon and Moab, and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at all at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with nails, with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also it is them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? 
for to thee it doth appertain for as much as among all the wise men of nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like unto thee but there are altogether brutish and foolish the stock is the doctrine of vanities silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz the work of the workman and the hands of the founder blue and purple is their clothing they are all the work of cunning men but the Lord is the true God he is the living God an everlasting king at his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation as we see from this passage of scripture we see very the theme is simply this that truth versus error truth versus error truth versus error now um, as we we, we look at this situation um, I'm just thinking of well, what are we to do and, and the spiritual gems that Jeremiah have given us what am I talking about gems from Jeremiah well we have found several I'm not going to mention them all but we found <clears throat> that uh, we're to never quit we're to never give up you see Jeremiah preached and many scholars believe he, because of him we have four books of the Bible we have the, uh, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations, and many conservative scholars believe that he's the one that put together, and actually originally it was one book, Kings, but first and second Kings. And so we learn from Jeremiah that we're, we should never quit, we should never give up loving and learning from and living for and laboring for God. Remind you what Paul said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. We also found that, and Jeremiah taught us that, that God's relationship with people is seen by his great love and loyalty on our behalf. God is loyal. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. In fact, that hymn is written right from Jeremiah's uh, writing there in Lamentations. God is faithful. God is faithful. With another spiritual gem, we found that worshiping the true God involves trusting in who he is, what he is and depending on him on how we are to obey him you know it's very interesting as we going through this very difficult time of this well rather I, and uh, I was asked today uh, as you ever or yesterday have you ever gone seen anything like this and I never have not in my lifetime and I'm, a, I'm almost 70 years old so uh, but you know I'm so thankful God is there because the Bible says trust in God at all times you people pour out your heart before us God is a refuge for us Psalm 62 8 trust in him at all times he is faithful we can trust we can depend on him and we also found in the same way that Lord blesses his wayward people when he returned to him God is saying get right with me get right with the word of God the Lord always desires his people to be with him isn't it great to be with God oh that's the greatest joy in all the world to be with God and the Lord would rather commend us than condemn us. You know, we all know John three sixteen for God's... And by the way, Jesus Christ himself is the one who said that. I don't think people uh, realize that, focus on that. He's the one. Jesus is the one who said John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, you know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the next verse is, says this, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We love God 
because he first loved us. He didn't have to, but he did. Thank him for that. But he would rather commend us than condemn us. And so we found also that God's word is profitable because it provides us with purpose, protection, and peace. Provides us with purpose, protection, and peace. You know, it's Charles Purgeon who said, live in the Bible, but visit good books. I love that. Live in the Bible. You know, you might have extra time at home this week. It's a time that maybe you don't have to go out or you sh the best thing probably is to stay home if you're able to. But if you do, you know what? Use that. You and I need to use that time to get alone with God. We always should have our devotions every day. Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Get that extra time. But may I say, may we get it in the word. Yes, visit good books, but live in the Bible. Live in the word of God. And then to avoid tragedy, we need to adhere to truth. To avoid tragedy, we need to hear truth. And then last time I was with you, we found that we're knowing God should result in showing God. If we know him, it should be seen in our lives, by our spirits, by our demeanor. And what it is <clears throat> uh, tonight when we look at what is the spiritual gem? Well, I'd like to share a little bit of a story, and, and, it's, and hopefully uh, it gets us across where you never know. You know, sometimes children have a way of, of uh, just uh, knowing truth. It's simple truth and helping us out. And uh, the one way is um, uh, the first one, uh, it, the, the slide with the—can you get that one with the— Oh, okay. Well, yeah, this is way of review, by the way. <laughs> you remember I said that years ago when my family and I went for a portrait, this is 2004, by the way, and uh, I said to the cameraman, Brother Eiffel, I don't know if you heard this or not, if you don't hear, but I said to the cameraman, Sir, if you, if you uh, tell my dog to smile, he'll smile for you. And of course the camera, oh yeah, sure, yeah. So anyhow, he gets behind the camera and, and uh, he said, smile. And I'll never forget the camera when he goes like this. I can't believe it. That dog is smiling. And I said, well, sir, I told you. He knows what it is. Uh, but look at the cat, the difference. See what I mean? <laughs> you know, just like, okay, thank you. Uh, but we, you know, uh, but honestly, many ways, I would say that by our words and our deeds and our actions, but more than anything, we show Jesus Christ by our demeanor, by our spirit. Haven't this, hasn't this happened to you where you're, 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 you're going somewhere or you meet somebody or something like that, right? And you think, you know, I think that person's maybe a believer, right? And a lot of times I believe that's the spirit of God. And it's because of their demeanor. It's because of their spirit. You know, they, they might have a, been having a trial and a tribulation and a rough life, but overall there's a, there's a good spirit there. there. There's a joy. There's a happiness. And what a blessing that is. I mean, I was just uh, 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 somewhere, actually it was in Fort Lauderdale Airport, and uh, I'll never forget, and, and, and you know, always try to give a good tip, and, and the, uh, I was leaving, and the waitress was looking at it, and, she's, and she said to me, she, sa she said to me, she says, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a believer too. And uh, I thought, what a joy that was, that, that she acknowledged the Lord like that. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I probably brought her joy too. I mean, obviously, we want her to come to know Jesus, everybody as their Savior. But what a joy that was, you know, that, that uh, 
like, oh, I'm a believer. Thank you so much, you know, this kind of, but it's our spirit. It's our demeanor. And, uh, but what it is, uh, the next slide, the one, uh, could you try the next slide? Okay. Now, what is this? Well, this, this is a, uh, what it is, a fourth grader. Let me just read this. Uh, a child uh, uh, was teased for this homemade University of Tennessee logo. Uh, um, uh, and he was teased. He was bullied by it. They made the kids in the school, and he, this this young boy lived in he lived in uh, Florida. And I don't know exactly. They said, "Oh, well." So he, 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 you know, he didn't have a shirt. He didn't have university. So he made this. You can see it's a homemade thing. All right. Now the University of Tennessee, though, however, made this into a real shirt. And in fact, they've sold fifty thousand of them. Uh, they sell them for $15 each, and this is what it looks like. And I actually have one here. I'll just show you. Now, a fourth grade. Here he was bullied. He was made fun of. He was put down and my, ah, you know, making fun of him probably. Uh, and then he, you know, because he made, and then this is, this is what they look like. You know, this is a real shirt here. And you can see it up a thing. Now, he said, well, that's a nice story, you know. That. But the University of Tennessee did something very special for him. They gave him a four-year scholarship the University of Tennessee, uh, and beginning in the class of 2032. <laughs> um, let's just say the scholarship, not just a few dollars, uh, probably by that time, well, right now it would be worth $132,000. <laughs> uh, so, uh, think about, by that time it would probably be 150, 160,000 with the inflation and so forth. But here, as a young boy, was just... Um, you know, trying, that was his favorite school, and, and, and uh, but he's out-of-state tuition, that's part of it. And, and they'll say, if he meets the requirements, he'll be able to be admitted. And that's a, that's a wonderful story. But I remember a young boy, I taught him in school in fourth grade, and his name was Tony. Actually, I always called him Tony. His classmates called him Tony until I met his parents for the parent-teacher conference. They called him Anthony. I thought, oh, I wasn't sure. I just said Tony. Uh, but, you know, Tony, I asked the, my fourth graders, could you make posters? Could you make posters? And uh, on the posters, just put what you're thankful for. That's, you know, just put on, make these posters uh, and what you're thankful for. And I'll never forget what Tony did in his poster. This is what he said and wrote a big he said I'm thankful for family I'm thankful for friends I'm thankful for food and I'm thankful for God I'm thankful for God and I thought wow that's wonderful now believe it or not little Tony's probably 54 years old right now <laughs> but I'll never forget that I'm thankful for God and you see that's the, that is what we are going to look at tonight that is the emphasis of tonight thanking God for God because it honors him thanking God for for God notice with me please verse 23 would you let's let's go through this quickly here all right <clears throat> number one we find we're to demote man's pride now isn't this interesting thus saith the Lord let not the wise man glory in his wisdom Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. In other words, the, the word glory there means to boast, to be prideful of. You know, I have to stop right here. Isn't this interesting? I told my wife, I said, honey, this virus 
does it not humble man? Because man thinks he can do everything, and he's wonderful. He, he, man thinks he's God, but all of a sudden, a little virus throughout the world, it shows us that in him we live and move and have our being. Folks, you and I are dependent on God physically. Right now, our hearts are beating. Right now, we are, our lungs are taking in air. Because of why? Because of God. Because God is the one who gives us physical life. God is the one who keeps us alive. God is the one that we're absolutely dependent upon. And we can take that in just a few minutes and we'll go into the spiritual realm. So if I'm absolutely dependent upon God physically, it would make sense then that I'm absolutely dependent upon God spiritually. But of course, here we find that let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, his intellect, neither the mighty man in his strength and his might, and the rich man in uh, glory in his riches. And you say, well, why, why, can't a per why shouldn't a person do that? Well, Paul writes the answer here, and of course we know it from other scriptures. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou hast not received? You see, where do we get the intellect? Where do we get the understanding? It's from God. Where do we get our strength? Have you ever felt bad? Have you ever had the flu? And oh, you feel weak and like, oh, tired. We get our strength from God, our might from God. And the rich man, because it says, now if thou dost receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? You see, everything we have, it's from God. God is the one who gives us the intellect. God's the one who gives us the strength. God's the one who gives us our riches. It's because of him. It's a gift from him. And we want to thank him. We want to praise him. But that's what we're not to do. But what are we to do? Notice with me, please, verse 24. And this, this is a very very well-known scripture, but it's such a blessing and encouragement to always review it and go over it where we see where it says, but let him that glorieth, what's that mean? Boasting, and by the way, it's you yourself doing this, boasting in this. But let him that glorieth, glory in this. Well, what is this? That he understandeth and knoweth me. That he has, he knows me personally. People know of God, but do they know God? See what I'm saying? They, oh yes, I know God. But do they have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? I explained it, and I was preaching at that funeral, and I'm thinking of Pastor Wenda, who, as a young boy at 15, he, in a church service, and, and he heard the gospel for several months and then said, you know what? I gotta get right with God. I'm not loving God like I should, and I'm not loving others. But I, even though I believed I was saved as a young boy, I was so thankful for Vacation Bible School because I went to a church that I didn't hear you could I hear about knowing God personally. I heard about Christmas, Jesus being born. I heard about Easter, you know, Jesus rising from the grave, and, and, and that was good. And, uh, but it never was explained to me. He did that for me. He, he, went, he, lived, he, he was born and lived and died for my sins and rose again as a, an historical truth. Why? Why did he do that? Because for me, I needed him. I needed a savior. I mean, remember, and Paul writes, uh, but <clears throat> Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again according to scripture. 
For God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. I have to realize I don't have an audience, so I have to fill in the blank myself. <laughs> no, just about. <laughs> okay. uh, but anyhow, but, <clears throat> but notice, that it's because of the Lord. He wants, you, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he has done this through the means of his son, Jesus Christ. What does the Lord do? He exercised loving kindness, and judgment and righteousness. He is loving God in the earth. For these things I delight, saith the Lord. You remember what it said about Jesus? This is a couple times. It says this about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. And that's what you and I, we, we want to be pleasing unto the Lord. And then <clears throat> if you go down to me at verse 10 where it th says this. Just skip down to 10.10, 10, would you? I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, ten, uh, verse 6, verse 6, excuse me. Verse 6 where it says, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might, who would not fear thee, O king of nations, for to thee doth it appertain, for as much as all among the wise of the nations and in their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. Isn't it interesting in this passage of Scripture, uh, here the, the king of the nations? God is the king of the universe. And then skip down to verse 10. Notice with me, please, what talks about the Lord. But the Lord is the what? True God. He is the living God. An everlasting what? King. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not abide in his indignation. He is the true God. He is the living God. You know, I love the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when really this is his high priestly prayer where he said the following in John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. <clears throat> that thy son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, as I back up a little bit, I remember I was sitting in a church service. It wasn't the regular church I went, and I believe I knew Jesus as my Savior. And I heard the gospel, and, and uh, I had never... Uh, I had never gone forward. I didn't go for, I hadn't gone forward in a church. But I'll never forget the speaker was from, are ready for this? You think I'm kidding you? From Colton, California. <laughs> Isn't that something there? <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's, I remember, you know, it's easy, you know, name association, right? And uh, I said, you know what? And right then and there, I, I, uh, I made sure of my salvation. I believe I was saved, but I made sure of it. And I, yesterday, um, a, a couple people also did. Uh, I'm sorry, it was Friday. A couple people also did. Because the Apostle John writes also about Jesus, and he says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 
And it's very interesting. He's writing to the believers, and he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. And see, this is what's so sad as, as we look, and, and what, what's the most important thing in life is what we do with Jesus Christ. Do we believe him? Do we receive him? Do we accept him? Or do we reject him? Do we reject him? And, and, uh, because, and we have to go by the Bible. We want to go by the Bible. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking at a nursing home uh, down the road here just a few days ago, and, and I spoke on how to have a happy Easter. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, well, what I mean is Easter's pretty soon, and we won't see them till after, technically have our service till after Easter. And uh, the Lord, it was wonderful. There was maybe about 15 um, residents there. And, uh, you know, was able, <clears throat> one lady did also ask, uh, made sure of her salvation. But afterwards, I got to talk, and this lady says this. She says, she says, are you all Baptists? <laughs> I, I never saw one word about being I said, well, yes, ma'am. But I said, I said, the most important is we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And I didn't grow up, quite frankly, in a, in a Baptist church, nor did my wife. Um, but uh, as I read and study the Bible, uh, as much as my understanding uh, you know, and again, it's not that we've arrived and not that we have a corner on truth because we do not. That's prideful. Uh, uh, but I believe the Baptists, what they believe, they seek to be as close to the Bible as possible. And, and again, we're growing. We haven't arrived, as Pastor Eifert had mentioned uh, this morning. Uh, but the idea there is what do you do with Jesus Christ? And see, you know from verses 25 and 26, what's he saying here? Uh, he's saying... Do you, have you believed me? Have you trusted me? Just because you're a Jewish person by physical birth, that doesn't mean that you know me. You have that privilege. You hear the Bible. You heard, you heard the law of God and the law of Moses. You heard the Psalms and so forth. You heard some of the prophets. Because he says, um, I'm going, it, it's it, because they're uncircumcised in heart. It's uncircumcised. In other words, unbelief in the heart. Do you believe with all your heart? Believe in thy heart that God hath raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's what we do with Jesus Christ. And then there's the customs of the people. If you look at chapter 10 real quickly and, and you read this about um, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, and, and people, uh, and you read this and says, oh my, it sounds like they're making Christmas trees. Well, what it is, and, and by the way, there are some believers, I respect them, I don't agree with them, but they're, they say, oh, see, it's right here. You're, you know, we shouldn't have anything to do with Christmas trees, and that's a pagan sign and stuff like this. And sadly, uh, yes, they are worshiping, they are worshiping these trees. We, uh, we don't worship Christmas trees. It's just a decoration uh, as, as the joy of the light of the world of Jesus and the eternal life he gives. Uh, but that's, we're not, we don't worship that. You know, we don't worship that. And uh, there are some believers, though, and I, I respect them. I, I don't make fun of them. They, they, don't, they don't like the word Christmas. That means Christ sent, Christ mass. And they don't even like the word Easter, though it's in the Bible. That's all pagan background, Roman pagan background, and all that. And that's all, you know, yeah. But if I say this to you, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if I say January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, if I say all that, guess what I've just done? I've just acknowledged 19 Roman gods, see? Because our days of the week and our months of the year are named after Roman gods. But I'm not acknowledged, you know, you know I, otherwise I'd have to say the fourth day of the fourth month and things like that. So, 
and part of our cult, but it's what you believe because over and over again, he says, Lord, you are the true God. At verse 6, it says, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord. You see, Jeremiah wanted them to get back to the Lord. He wanted them to get back to, yes, the true man, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king. An everlasting king. And that was his whole purpose and goal in life. You know, King David, <clears throat> I like to just uh, read what King David prayed, and he prayed about the temple. This is uh, 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 about that, uh, having the temple built. And he said this listen to this prayer of King David. Wherefore, this is First Chronicles 29. He says this David prays this in First Chronicles 29. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thy own have we given thee in other words we're really just giving it back to God it's God's anyway we're just stewards we're just managers for we are strangers before thee and the sojourners as there were also our fathers our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding O Lord our God all the store have we prepared to build thee a house for a holy name of thine hand and it is all thine I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. The Lord loveth the cheerful giver. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Prepare. What a great prayer, isn't it? You see, what does David do? And I notice this, and I go, when I go to the hospitals and people are, 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 are battling uh, health issues, I always pray for the very best, that the medical personnel will lead them to do the very best. Uh, and, and the very best, whatever. It's, sometimes it's medicine, sometimes it's therapy, sometimes it's surgery. I always lead them. But I know God does know. He's infinite. We're just finite. We can see from here to there. But God does know the very best. What a joy it is. That, and David always looks to the Lord. He, you know, we're learning it. He learned it. We're, we're learning it. No matter what we face in life, look to God. Yeah, this is horrible, this uh, coronavirus, and, and it's killing people and making people sick. And thank the Lord it doesn't kill most people, but it kills enough that it's like, wow, we need to be respectful of it. And we need to do all we can to keep it from spreading and pray that I'm praying they find a cure or find a vaccine or whatever's necessary to help end it. But guess what? The Lord is always there. The Lord is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. 
he'll always be there and the Bible says and Job said this Job he said unto man behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom what should I do fear God folks you know why we sin we know why we think things wrong you know why we do things wrong and say things wrong and feel things wrong because we don't fear God enough we don't fear God enough the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in other words what should I do wow I need to have a an all, you know an all in respect for God an all in respect for God just two illustrations then I'll close <clears throat> some of you remember do you remember when you were in biology class and you had to dissect frog did you ever have to do that <laughs> okay <laughs> okay <laughs> all right some of you remember that okay I was in 10th grade and uh, so you know you had a partner here you had to work with somebody had to be uh, I don't know how good I was <laughs> being a surgeon but yet but anyhow but uh, uh, one of my classmates whose name was Mark Shin he said to me Ron I noticed something about you and I said well what's that Mark he says well Ron I noticed that you that you don't swear much well he doesn't say much he said you don't swear <laughs> I hope I didn't swear he says you didn't swear much and he says you, you don't tell dirty stories and folks, to my shame, I, uh, I didn't react like I should have biblical. I, I laughed about it. I never thought anybody noticed that, to be honest. I mean, it, but I should have said, I should have said, you know what I should have said? Oh, well, Mark, thank you for noticing that. I, that's complimentary. But I said, I don't do that because I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, I, and hey, I hadn't arrived. I still, you know, still, you know, a, a young man, I still struggle with sin, all right? still do as an old man okay I still struggle but I, I should have said in other words I should have pointed him to Christ so I, but you know he and I became best friends and even uh, and, and what he did was he would say this to me every once in a while he'd say Ron don't ever change don't ever change he'd say that once in a while and I and you know I, it, it, it sort of scared me a little bit because I thought, oh, Lord, what, what if I do fail? You know, because I'm, I'm just human. I, what if I do fail? And what if I do things, you know? Uh, and, and, uh, but I thought, again, I should have said, well, Mark, there is someone who will never change. And his name is Jesus Christ. He'll never fail you. I'll fail you. You'll fail me, but Jesus Christ will never fail us. He'll always be there for us. He'll always helping us. And I thank the Lord for a friend that encouraged me in my walk with Christ. He was a moral man. He was a moral man. Um, and eventually he, he did make a profession of faith. He did make a profession of faith. And we had a lot of fun together. But I thank the Lord for someone who God used to help me to, to do right, to do right. And uh, I thank, thank you, Lord, for, for giving me such a, a great friend. You know, but the greatest friend in all the world is Jesus Christ. Friend, faithful, real, interested in you, encourages you, 
never will leave you, never forsake you, devoted and dedicated to you. What a friend we have in Jesus. One recently wrote in one of our devotions that we have in our bookstore the following. What good works did Jesus do? He healed the sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the demon-possessed. And he raised people from the dead. He taught and cared for all classes of people. He made it a point to recognize the importance of children. He had great compassion on crowds and led them. His miracles were always for noble and virtuous reasons. He foretold the kingdom and gave him hope to all, that he willingly gave up his life for sinners. Jesus Christ left his purse to Judas, his body to Joseph of Arimathea, his mother to John, his clothes to the soldiers, his peace to his disciples, his supper to his followers, himself as an example and as a servant, his gospel to the world, his presence always with God's children. If you believe in Jesus, trust him. If you are expecting Jesus, don't allow yourself to be completely defeated, irritated, and troubled by your circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, remind you what you could do to prevent the small frustrations overtaking you. There are times when we forget that Jesus gave everything for you and me. Take some time right now to remember all that Jesus did for you, how he has answered your prayers. Let's pray, shall we? Father God in heaven, we want to thank you for how wonderful you are to this world and to us. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ that you sent him to die for our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. He went to bat for us. He paid the ultimate price, which is death. He lived in this simple world, Lord, a perfect, righteous, holy life, and yet everything we ever thought wrong or said wrong or did wrong was placed on him. And that you accepted that by raising him from the grave. Thank you that truly eternal life is a gift from you, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, folks, I had mentioned before I made sure my salvation when I was 18. I believe I was saved when I was eight and a half, but I made sure of it. And when I was 18, I didn't pray out loud, but from my heart, I made sure of my salvation. And maybe you're, you know, the Spirit of God is working in your heart. You know, I want to make sure Jesus is my Savior. And I, just like Pastor Colton did when he was 18, you can pray from the heart, as Pastor Wendell says. You can pray something like this, if God is so leading you. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of all my sin. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose again. And I ask him right now to come into my heart and into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you so much for the gift of eternal life. Please, Lord, help me to love you. Help me to serve you the rest of my life on this earth. And please help me to become more like your wonderful son. Thank you for this time we've had in your word. We praise you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you very much, and Lord bless, and please feel free to uh, email us. If you've made sure of Jesus as your Savior, that would be wonderful. Take care, and Lord bless. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. 
Um, and I'd like to talk to you this morning. I, we did send out notes via email. Hopefully you've received those. You can use those this morning uh, to follow along. But uh, as you know, we've been preaching through, Pastor Wendell has our theme of 2020 on follow Christ each Sunday morning. And so I continue that theme, and the title for this morning's message is Let's Play Follow the Leader. Let's play follow the leader. It's all about the disciples and their effort to follow Christ during his earthly ministry. We'll study a few brief snippets in their lives from Luke chapter uh, 9 this morning and the interactions that Jesus had with them and assess how they really closely did or not follow the leader. And so, have you ever played follow the leader when you were young, when you were a child? I'm sure we all have. Uh, it's fun to have people follow us around and we try to get them to mimic, every, mimic everything that we do. It's a, it was a fun game as a kid and every move that we make, they're supposed to do exactly like us and when they didn't, they were out of the game. And uh, the person who lo- was left standing, who followed perfectly, became the new leader. And so this morning as we think about this following the leader, the disciples were to follow Jesus and look like Jesus and emulate Jesus and that's what all of us are as his disciples. He wants us to follow him and to look like him and to be like him. And there's lots of challenges in our life today that would prevent us from doing that. So the message is for all of us this morning that we might think about following Christ. And so that begs the question, did the disciples follow the leader like they should have in full faith and full surrender? Or were there lapses in their faith and their judgment during this time on earth with the Savior? And so I want you to know that did Jesus dismiss them for not following as intently as they should have? If we were in their shoes back then, would we have responded the way that the disciples responded in so many different situations that were presented before them that Jesus allowed them to experience? What would we do? Well, we can learn from the disciples. So look at Luke chapter 9, if you would, please. I'll just read a few verses. We'll pray, and we'll jump in. Luke chapter 9, verses 1, it says this, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Look, look down at verse 6. They went and did that. They departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now look at verse 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Jesus starts his ministry sending them out and commissioning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our our time this morning in his word. Father, we love you and thank you for this privilege to meet together, even though it's by internet connection. Lord, we can draw close to you, and I pray that the word of God would dwell richly in us this morning, that you would use your word to speak to our hearts, strengthen us in our spirit during these uh, trying times that we face with the coronavirus. Lord, help us, even from this lesson, to learn some things that we need to learn to be more dependent upon you And Lord, as a result, would you find us faithful? Bless our time in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. From Luke chapter 9 alone, folks, it seems that whatever Jesus did, he had to continually remind his disciples and to show his disciples his divine power. He would do something and they they just sort of let it slip. And so he'd do something else and they might have let it slip and they were missing it at times. Other times they they were more fervent and and more faithful, but there were times like maybe any of us today, we can allow things to come into our life. Maybe the coronavirus scare, and it can cause us to lose faith, to lose hope, to lose heart, 
and we can let our relationship, our closeness with Christ slip a little bit. And so he opens with Luke 9 with a powerful commissioning, and you see there in your notes, he commissions his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, what we just read. First of all, he gave them authority to cast out demons. Think about that for just a minute. He gave them authority to cast out demons. He gave them power to cure diseases. He gave them authority to preach the kingdom of God. And then, number four, he, he gave them power to heal the sick. Now, now, I just give you those, but think about those as a whole for a moment. Talk about building one's faith. Folks, imagine touching a person on their belly. These are just plain men. They're disciples. And they went out. He, God commissioned them. Christ commissioned them. Think about touching someone in their belly and healing colitis or Crohn's disease. Imagine touching a festering skin disease like leprosy and the skin being immediately made pure. Imagine someone being blind or lame from birth. And this disciple comes and prays over them, anoints them with the oil, and, and they can see their disease is immediately gone, and they can walk for the first time if they have paralysis. Imagine speaking to an evil spirit to come out of a person, and they obey your voice. Jesus gave his disciples that level of power. Imagine preaching and many getting saved every time you shared the love of Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom. Imagine people thronging you to have you touch them and pray for them or just command power over them to perform an unbelievable miracle. And people's lives are completely transformed. Jesus gave his disciples that power. He commissions them to do that here in Luke chapter 9. It's amazing. Mark's account of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 12 says that they cast out many devils and anointed many that were sick with oil and they were healed. So the question for us this morning as we think about this very first point is this. What would that do, folks, for your faith? What would it do if you had that power and authority that he gave to the disciples? Would that make you a more fervent follower of Christ since he empowered you to do this? You bet it would. It's unbelievable how this could impact our faith. They were simple, common men, now able to have authority over the hosts of hell and the dreaded diseases of the day that could cause death or keep people bound with paralysis or other health problems. And so you see there in your notes, they should have been beaming with these things. They should have been beaming with joy over seeing lives transformed. Absolute joy. They should have been beaming with faith that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God. He displayed that time and time again. They should have been beaming with faith to remove mountains. Like he said, if you have just the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you say to the mountain, it be removed. They should have been beaming with that because they were performing these things and saw the power of God, sensed the power of God, watched the power of God work through them. A desire to work tirelessly they should have been beaming with, to serve as many people as possible. we got to get the word out. we got to keep going. Look at the power God has given to us. Let's keep going, gentlemen. Get it done. That's what their thoughts should have been. And then their last in, in this little section, they should have been beaming with confidence to overcome all fears in life. Folks, we could be very fearful about a corona, coronavirus. We could be fearful about health issues the fallout economically and financially of what could happen with our jobs and careers and all sorts of other things. We can let the coronavirus overwhelm us and overtake us, but I'm here this morning to tell you that Christ is greater than these things. And that brings me to my second thing that we need to learn to follow the leader on 
And of course, our leader is Jesus Christ. And it's from Matthew's account. So I'd like you to turn to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 14, please. I'd like to read this. It's, it's right here in Luke. Luke talks about it in chapter 9 from verses 10 through uh, 16 or so. But I'd like to look at it from Matthew's account. So we're still thinking about Luke 9, but I like the way Matthew kind of covers it. And it's talking about Jesus when he fed the 5,000 plus men, and, men, women, and children plus women and children. We're going we're gonna to call it 15,000 people. In your notes there, the second thing he did for, to get his disciples to see his power, he charged them to serve others. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now spent. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy them victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. First of all, we see in your notes there, he wanted his disciples to have compassion on the multitudes like he did. Though he was healing the sick all day long and it was night and it was, a, it was the evening time, it was a desert place and everyone was tired and worn out, Jesus still had compassion on the multitudes and he wanted his disciples to follow his leadership in that regard. And so there in your notes, letter B, he wanted them to feed the multitude. He wanted them to get involved with the miracle that he was about to perform. They don't have to leave. Let them sit down. We don't have to send them away. That would require some extra labor on behalf of the disciples at that point. Third, the disciples' reaction was this, that they obeyed, but sort of with a grumbling spirit. Now, we don't read it right here, but we know, again, verse 15, I just read, the evening is now come in verse 15. His disciples came. It's a desert place, Lord. The time has passed. Send them away. We're tired. We don't want to do this. And he sends them he, they asked to be dismissed of their duties that evening. And so they're sort of grumbling about it. Well, what do we have here? We have a boy's lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And in John it says, and what's that among so many, Lord? We can't do anything about this. Just send them away. And so they had this sort of negative reaction. They were tired. They had just learned, if you look up earlier in the chapter, it talks about John the Baptist being beheaded. So they may have been fearful or discouraged. It was evening time. They just wanted to be left alone for a while. In other words, forget that Jesus had just healed all their sick earlier that day. That's what it says at the end of verse 14. He healed their sick. Forget that he had done that. They were not thinking of Jesus performing another miracle. In fact, it seems they didn't want him to do so. So they were weary in their humanness and they couldn't give any more. If there were 15,000 people, like we might suggest in attendance, that was a lot of trips back and forth to serve them. That'd be a lot of cleanup. We know there were 12 baskets full left over. It was a big mess to take care of. They probably knew the people are going to complain. We didn't get enough of this. We didn't have enough of that. People are people. Lord, we don't want to deal with that. Just send them away. And that was going on. And they were probably going to be ungrateful. Why do we have to put up with this? It's late, Lord. Come on, we've been doing this. And that kind of attitude might have been what they were thinking. They just wanted to be done with it. But that attitude affected their faith, folks. It affected their faith. And that's what I want us to see. We can let 
external events and circumstances and people affect our attitude so that we can take our eyes off of Christ. We lose faith. We lose confidence at times. We can learn from the disciples in this little bit here how not to behave at times. Their faith to see a miracle was hindered by their weariness of ministry. Have you ever been there? We get weary. We get tired out. Lord, I'm giving. I'm doing everything. Just give me a break. I don't want to go to that service. I don't want to serve today. I don't want to do that. It can be for all of us. We've been there at times. And so it can cause us to become disillusioned. It can cause us to become fearful like a coronavirus. We can become distracted and we can lose our faith. And so I want you to see there letter E or letter D says, Jesus fed thousands with a boy's lunch. We can't miss it, verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude and they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. The Lord did a humongous miracle here. But the disciples, because they were tired, because they were distracted, because they were weary, because they were, may I use the term hard-hearted? They missed it. They missed it. And so you see then in letter E, the disciples' attitude caused them to miss the miraculous work of Christ. In other words, they were unimpressed with this mighty miracle. In their human weakness and irritability and hard-heartedness, they failed to appreciate what Jesus had just done, both as an example to them and a blessing to the people. Yeah, they were hard-hearted. You say, Pastor Eifert, hard-hearted, really? Aren't you being a little hard on the disciples? They're hard-hearted? Well, folks, if you look at Mark's account, and I think I have it there in your notes, you look at Mark's account of this message, look what it says there in Mark chapter 6, verse 52 in your notes. It says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Mark get, lets us in on a little, a little bit more information. We, we don't care. We don't, we don't believe that. What, what's the big deal? Just, Lord, send them away. We don't want to have to deal with that. And so they had this hardened attitude. And because of that hardened attitude, because of the circumstances around them, they missed the greatness, they missed the glory, they missed the power of Christ right in their midst. It can so easily happen, and we don't want that to happen to us in the culture in which we live in today, in the surrounding events that are taking place. Let's not let those things become dominant in us because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So, Jesus looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. He can see into the disciples' souls. It's lesson time for the disciples. And now Jesus has to do something to, to get their attention. He has to show them, hey, look, that attitude's not acceptable. We can't have that in, in my leaders. If you're going to follow me as, as my disciples, I need to lead you the way I need you to go. And so, he's going to allow them to have a little challenge. You see there in your notes number three. He not only charged them to serve others with the loaves, number three, he challenged their faith. He challenged their faith. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. 
What's he doing here? He's giving them a task, you see. He's giving them a task. He commanded them to get into the ship, and he commands them to go to the other side by themselves without him. Why would that be? He always wants his disciples with him. Though he just sent them out one by one, he calls them back and to give an account of their ministry. Normally, Jesus wants his disciples with him, so he sends them out by himself, by themselves. And here he's wanting to teach them a lesson. He wants them to go away to the other side for the sole purpose of putting them into a trial, into a test to prove their faith. And that's that operative word, to prove their faith. He wants to see their genuine love and commitment and passion for their leader, Jesus Christ. And so he gives them a storm there in your notes. He gives them a storm. You know, storms of life, folks, we all know they're a way of getting our attention and boy, this was a doozy for the disciples. He's going to put them in a storm because he has to soften their hardened heart towards ministry, towards people, towards loving others, towards following Christ purely and sincerely and fervently and passionately. And so he gives them a storm in verse 24. It says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was airy. They're in a, they're in a doozy of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But he gives them his presence. He doesn't just leave them alone. And folks, that's good for us to know here. Though we might be tested and tried, even with the storm of a coronavirus, Jesus Christ gives us his presence. He doesn't leave us. And he has not left Americans. He's not left the world. He wants his people to trust in him more than ever now through these trials. He gives them his presence in verse 25. Look what it says. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. You see, the disciples thought the worst. What were they, what were they thinking in the sea, on the boat? What's their thought? Look what it says in verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit! And they cried out for fear. They thought the very worst. Rather than think, oh, it's our Savior coming. He just fed 15,000 people with a boy's lunch. They thought, no, it's a demon. It's an evil spirit. They're, he's coming to get us. And they lost faith. They missed it. Their hearts were hard, so Jesus had to teach them a lesson from this thing. The specter they thought was a ghost. They were under, ruled by fear and not faith, folks. We tend to think the worst. We let things get blown out of proportion. We let it become bigger than what it is and worse than what it is. Don't let that happen with the coronavirus either. Rather than think it could only be Jesus who could walk on water, they ascribe this unidentified specter to a demon who is coming to get them. How deceived we can become from a lack of faith. From a lack of faith. The disciples, they were horrified. Verse 26, we read it once. They were troubled, saying, It's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. They were horrified. That cried out for fear would be best interpreted like this if you look up the Greek words. They shrieked in terror. They were beside themselves. They thought they were going to die. It wasn't a virus in their case. It was winds and waves. And that's what they thought was going to get them. So in your notes, number three, the disciples lost faith. They lost faith. But notice what Jesus does. It's wonderful. Look at verse 27. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying three things. Folks, I want to just stop here for a minute. I want you to get these deep into your soul. Look what our Savior says to them. Three statements. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I think those are three of the most beautiful sentences we can remember when we are in a trial. A crisis of faith. A coronavirus crisis. Quote those three statements. Here they are. Would you say them with me? Here we go. Ready? Be of good cheer. Two. It is I. Three. Be not afraid. Folks, put them on a note card. Keep them with you in your car. Take them to work with you wherever you go. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, have cheer. He's saying, I'm here. He's saying, don't fear. Be of good cheer. I'm here. Don't fear. How wonderful is the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. Be of good cheer. I'm going to give you my presence. I am here. He says, I'm going to give you my power. Don't fear. That's what he says. We can all use that today. The disciples needed that. After he had used them in so many powerful ways, they still had crisis of belief at times, and we can be there as well. We know the rest of the story, letter E. Jesus re rescues Peter on the water. He went out and he begins to sink. Jesus doesn't just leave him drown. Immediately, the Bible says he picked up Peter, lifted him up. He rescues Peter, even his, in his crisis of faith. At least he had the faith to go out and seek Jesus to be with him. But Jesus has to teach the lesson. Look at verse 31. I'll start at verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. That's Peter. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, just like Jesus does, and caught him. And here was all the rebuke he gave. Here's the lesson that he wanted the disciples to know. We're talking about faith, folks. Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt me back there on the shore? You missed it, the miracle of the loaves. I had to put you out here. Your hearts were hard. Don't miss it. I am God. I want you to trust me. I'm here. Be of good cheer. Don't fear. Oh, you have little faith. That was the lesson. They worshiped him as a result. Look what it says in verse 32. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. God stopped the trial because they learned the lesson about faith. Verse 33, when they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You are the Son of God. They believed. Their faith was restored. They believed in the deity of Christ, and they worshipped him. And so we can learn an important lesson. Back to chapter 9 of Luke, please. Back to Luke chapter 9. That's the story there. Now, throughout the rest of Luke, there's other things that Jesus wants to teach his disciples right from this passage alone. And so Luke covers that passage of, of Scripture from Mark 14 right here in Luke chapter 9. 
Um, verses, again, 10 through 17. But now we come back to Luke chapter 9. And Jesus asks them, because he's testing their faith, who the people say that he was when, when they returned from their ministry, being out ministering to people. Hey, tell me who the people say I am, verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, whom say the people that I am? He wanted to know what's going on out there. What do they believe? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Peter understood. Lord, you're the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the promised one that would come. He's making headway in his faith, and he... And Jesus asks for their full commitment in verses 23 and 24. Pastor Wendell preached on this part of the, uh, of, of the message a few weeks ago where it talks about in verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Be a true disciple for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it or shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gains the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? And so he's telling his disciples, look, stay faithful, stay close, draw near to me. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you're not in the faith yet, no matter who you might be out there this morning, I can't see all the faces, but you know if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I realize I'm far from you, I invite you now to come into my heart and live within me. You can pray the prayer of saving faith. We'll give you the opportunity to do that in just a few minutes to say once and for all, yes, Jesus, I need you, I want you, save me, and have that saving faith. The disciples needed greater trusting faith. And so, the next little epitaph here that we see is in Roman numeral four, he changes his countenance. That's the next thing Jesus is going to do to prove his faith to the disciples. He gets to the next level. You see here in verse 28, it says, and it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, and shortly after the feeding of the 5,000, now he's going to do something else dramatic in their life to get their attention. It says he went up into a mountain to pray, and he, as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was changed, was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men that were Moses and Elisha, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from, from him, Peter said unto him, Jesus, Master, he rightly called him that, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he had said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they, they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close. And no man in those days, any of those, uh, uh, any of those days, any of those things which they had seen. They didn't speak of it. Jesus asked them to keep it quiet. We know this is the transfiguration. So being after, at, on their own for a period of time and doing all those miracles and casting out demons and feeding 15,000 with a boy's lunch that they got to watch Jesus do and seeing him rescue them from the storm, they should have been beaming with faith at this point. And so what else can Jesus do to display his deity, to display his divine power? 
He takes him up to the mountain and he transforms his life. In your notes, he takes his inner circle of men to a high mountain. He peels back his flesh and gives them a glimpse of his glory, his glorified body. Now, in the Old Testament, God had to cover Moses in the cleft of the rock as God passed by Moses because Moses' back was there and God put his hand over him as he passed by because God said, you can't see my face and live. God is so awesome. He's so powerful. Hebrews 1.3 says then that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. He is God in human form. And now he wants his disciples to see, I am the Son of God, I am God in human form. Disciples, let me show you so that you never doubt me. And he opens his flesh and shows them his glorified body. He wants to reveal himself to his closest disciples to convince them of his deity because he never wants their faith to waver again. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I have not seen nor ear heard neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul was caught up to the third heaven. He saw things that were unlawful to be uttered. The disciples see Jesus peel back his flesh and they see the resplendent, radiant glory of God contained within him. He was showing his disciples in your notes there, let us see the transfiguration. It's a preview of Christ's second coming when he'll appear in his full splendor and glory to set up his kingdom. Moses and Elijah are there. Moses represents the law and those that have died on earth and they're going to be resurrected at the rapture. And Elijah represents the prophets and those who will be alive and translated at the rapture. In your notes, letter D, the voice of God thunders from a bright cloud with the Shekinah glory of God overshadowing them. You can imagine if you were the disciples, if you heard this booming voice in the cloud and you saw Jesus with his radiant what would you be thinking? would be on our faces. This is awesome. And that's, what, that's what's described in Matthew, that the men fell on their faces in fear. He was further reinforcing his nature and God speaks directly from his glorious cloud and reaffirms his love and approval of his beloved son. It's an awesome display of his power. He gets the confirmation from Almighty God. Surely his disciples would now have that mighty faith. There'd be no doubt. So Luke chapter 9 continues. Look at verse 37. It came to pass on the very next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he's mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. Sadly, verse 40, And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Wait a minute, what happened here? They had just cast out demons when Jesus sent them out one by one to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And now they come down off this spiritually high mountain, you know, the spiritual high, and they hit a valley. They come off the thing, and that's exactly what the devil wants to do so often. We're on a spiritual high, and boom, right away, we're in the valley. This man comes with a demon. The reality of life hits upon us. And there we are in the pit. And the disciples tried to cast the demon out and they couldn't do it. Why? 
It was a lack of faith. It was a lack of belief. Playing follow the leader is difficult at times. They had this spiritual mountaintop experience in the transfiguration, but within a day, they descended into this valley of trial. In your notes, number five, he casts out this demon. He's demon-possessed. Letter B, he sought the disciples to cast him out. Why could they not? Verse 41 says, Jesus answering, why could they not? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring the son, thy son hither. He says, oh, faithless generation. Now, at this point, he's not just talking to his disciples. He's talking to the whole nation of Israel, making a broad statement. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, why won't you believe me? What else do I have to do to prove my power? And that's what's going on here. And his disciples, once again, could not do that. Folks, faithlessness and unbelief is an affront to our Savior and grieves his heart. He wants us to trust him and believe him and rely upon him and depend upon him implicitly and completely, especially at times like this that we're going through in America. It's our time to show our faith strong. Jesus grievously said, how long shall I be with you, verse 41, then how long shall I suffer you? We would say it this way, how long shall I put up with you? As the Father asked compassion of Jesus to cast out the demon, Jesus returns a question back to him before he answers his request. That's found in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. I think I have it there in your notes. Jesus asks the man, if thou canst believe, there it is, there it is, faith. If you have faith, if you will believe, sir, all things are possible to them that believeth. The man says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And folks, for us, it's the same thing today. None of us have arrived. Paul says, I have not yet fully apprehended. But this one thing I do, there's things which are behind. I'm pressing towards the things which are before. Help thou mine unbelief. If we're this morning anxious, worried, upset, distracted about these things, Jesus is calling to us saying, trust me. Believe. Be of good cheer. I am here. Do not fear. In verse 44, notice Jesus says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. He wanted them to understand the gravity of his coming suffering. But verse 45 says, But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not and they feared to ask him that saying. They didn't understand what was coming though he was trying to tell them. And so he has to correct their prideful hearts. Look where it goes to here. This is our last point. In verse 46, imagine it, folks. Then there arose a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest. Wait a minute, where does that come from? Even though they had these lapses of faith, now they're thinking big on themselves, thinking, wow, maybe because James and John and Peter all saw the, the glorified God, you know, the glorified body of Jesus, they're thinking, hey, we're on his inner circle. We're special people. Hey, we're greater than you guys. We're going to be higher in the kingdom when we get to heaven. And they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And so he has to correct their prideful hearts. In your notes there, letter A, they argue over who would be the greatest. 
their failures and their lapses of faith, their inability to cast out a demon, their utter terror in the storm, and their bad attitude about serving a hungry multitude, and now they're asking, who's going to be the greatest? (laughs) Seems funny, doesn't it? But we can be there ourselves. No man ever hated his own flesh. And so there in your notes, Jesus simply instructs them to be the least in order to be the greatest. Verse 48, and he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be the greatest. Folks, Jesus is essence in saying, I want you to have childlike faith. I want you to have utter dependence. When there's storms in life, when there's difficulties, when there's trials, I want you to trust me. Don't let circumstances, don't let people, don't let national crises or whatever else overwhelm you. Let Jesus sustain you. So what's keeping you from drawing closer to the Lord? Is it a lack of faith due to the overwhelming circumstance you've been in? Is it virus fears? Is it it instability in our nation? Is it the unknown outcome of this health issue? our job situations. Our faith in mighty God, folks, is the answer to all of our current events and life circumstances. The disciples wavered. They came around. God wants us to trust him and learn from his disciples. I put there in your notes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Peter, after the resurrection, was a transformed man. He writes this, that a trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the ending of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In your notes, The spiritual growth assignment for us is this, folks. Don't let your lack of faith rob you of receiving God's protection and provision in the midst of trial. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. It is powerful. It is awesome. You are awesome. We give you praise this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us this morning, though we can't lift up hands and see how many this morning might be troubled in their heart and spirit. You know each one. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone listening this morning that if we are in a crisis of faith, if we are doubting, if we're overly extending ourselves with worry and fear and anxiety, Lord, bring comfort. Might the message of the hour this morning about your peace and your power and your presence overwhelm us and give us confidence to live mightily for you in this time of trial. And Lord, if there be any here this morning that know not Christ, would today be the day of their salvation? And so I just ask you at home there, those of you who are listening, if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation to save your soul and you're not sure that you are going to heaven, boy, today is your wonderful day. You can do that this morning by putting your faith in the precious Son of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of you just surrendering yourself and you can pray this prayer with me I'll offer it to you. It goes like this. You just pray from your home silently, wherever you might be, you pray to God. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. 
And today I put my faith and my trust and my confidence in Jesus Christ to save me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart and save me and give me eternal life. Thank you for your salvation. Father, I pray that as we go about these next days and weeks that you would give us the grace and the power to live for you. Might we be faithful to you. Lord, strengthen us that we might be able to take that faith to a lost world, to an anxious world uh, that is nervous about our current situation and grant us your peace. Might we be fervent witnesses for you and learn from our disciples that we've studied this morning. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, pleasure, pleasure to talk with you this morning. We will uh, have our 1030 service as well, same message, and also tonight at six o'clock, be back, Pastor Colton is gonna be preaching, and we look forward to meeting with you together again. Have a blessed day in the Lord.